We've all heard that revenge is a dish best served cold. But what if that revenge comes from an honest-to-God accident? Can vengeance ever be put to rest without rampant death and destruction in its wake? Ask Ryu, a recently fired factory worker who concocts a scheme to kidnap a wealthy executive's little girl so he can get money to pay for his dying sister's operation. A horrific accident occurs, forever changing Ryu's life and the life of the little girl's father, Mr. Park, and forcing the audience to choose a side between two men who become monsters. All this and more in the 2002 Korean crime thriller, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, boys and girls. This is the Filmgasm podcast, and you're listening to episode 105, another foreign film sent to us from the book of Filmgasm. If you enjoy this podcast and want to see it evolve into something even better, feel free to donate anything you want to us. Every little bit goes right back into the show and allows us to make the show better. If you want to donate, head to the Filmgasm podcast page on whatever your podcast platform is. Click on support this podcast in the description. Thank you very much. Anything you know, is appreciated. We, we love doing this and we hope you love hearing us do this. Uh, so, you know, spread the love. Much obliged. Now, thank you very much. Let's go into the rewind. I've got one update today. Again, on episode 20, The Godfather, making a lot of rounds lately. Apparently, there is a film in the works that tells the story of the making of The Godfather. Don't confuse that with the upcoming HBO Max series about the making of The Godfather that we discussed a few weeks back. This film is titled Francis and the Godfather, and it's being helmed by Barry Levinson and will star Oscar Isaac as Francis Ford Coppola and Jake Gyllenhaal as producer Robert Evans. The film is an early development and it's going to tell the tumultuous story of how the Godfather came about. Uh, I feel like we literally just talked about this because HBO Max is doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, definitely a trend right now to do this sort of thing and tell stories about the making of this, but uh, uh, with Oscar Isaac playing Francis, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm down. I'm in. And obviously Jake Gyllenhaal is one of my favorites. So, uh, why not? I like, you know, it's kind of for the nerds like us, you know, to get a glimpse into this world and see what was going on. So why not? <laughs> yeah. Every time they do this, I, I seem to love it. You know, Hitchcock, my week with Marilyn. It's a cool way to kind of see into film history. And, you know, of course it's going to be, you know, leaning towards a certain, mindset that's every, every biopic does that no biopic is 100 honest but we love seeing these uh this thing and you know any excuse to go back into the godfather oh for sure and i think uh <clears throat> fans as a whole especially us have to thank the, the film they have to thank tarantino and the film once upon a time in hollywood because i think this is going to start a new trend of kind of diving into certain eras of hollywood and I think Tarantino made that something that could be really popular, right? Yeah. Again, to kind of revisit this era and certainly uh, what he was visiting was 1969 and Godfather is obviously just a few years after that. So I I'm always down to kind of get a glimpse into the late 60s and 70s because that's when film was really, really changing. So, so yeah, it's, it's it, why not, right? Especially when you have a cool cast. Exactly. And a good director in uh, Barry Levinson. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, Go for it. 
you'll see this where this goes, you know, weigh it against the HBO Max series and see who did it better. <laughs> yeah. So, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is the first installment of director Chan Wook Park's thematically connected Vengeance trilogy, with 2003's Old Boy and 2005's Lady Vengeance following. Prior to this, I think we'd both seen Old Boy, which is definitely yes. Park's masterpiece, I would say. Yeah. But uh, Sympathy is, I thought, was far better than critics seem to think. This was a pretty big failure in Korea when it came out. Yeah quite frustrating doesn't have very good scores you know rent tomatoes and all this and that uh i completely you know disregarded that about 10 minutes in just by the sheer sheer tempo and the cinematography itself is this film is gorgeous the way it moves and then the actual content is you know it, it contains a lot of bite and i love i love when movies do that or when art does that when it kind of displays beauty but so you can't you can't really take your eyes off the screen, but at the same time, what you're watching is is not really morally <laughs> good at all. Uh, yeah, I, I had a blast with it. I definitely am going to watch Lady Vengeance soon, uh, just to go ahead and round it out. Uh, I might revisit Old Boy too because it's been a while, and I I really like that one. Yeah, uh, good luck with that because weirdly, uh, the week we were going to do this it got taken off shutter along with old boy and lady vengeance. Oh, well, lady vengeance is on criterion right now. True. But old boys, not old boys disappeared. <laughs> I can, I can find old boy somehow. I have a buddy who owns it. <laughs> I just think it's weird. Like the timing of that sucks. Yeah, that's, that's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's one you can find. It's definitely the most popular of the three. Yeah. Uh, and it's the one that most people have seen, obviously, including you and I until now. And Chanwook park I think I mentioned it in my review, few directors can do just unforgiving, violent, like revenge as good as Chan Wook Park. I mean, that man has some, has a depraved mind when it comes to just the way people act, the way people act, the way people think it's his films are so violent and so horrific. Like the worst possible thing that can happen is going to happen in a Chan Wook Park film. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, you know, Korean cinema is, is kind of, that's their, their specialty is they're able to make you e- extremely uncomfortable while carrying you through the story that's somehow, somehow amazing. Like, you know, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is when you, you know, I explained it to a friend at work today. When I explained it all, I was just like, good God, it's just, you know, just devastation after devastation after devastation. But I couldn't stop watching for two over two hours. I, I don't know how to explain it. And there's there's just a certain way, and it's a it's a freedom that they've had for so long, uh, in, in in Europe and in Asia, whereas here we weren't able to do these kinds of things. And a lot of directors are scared to do these kinds of things in movies, where it's just complete devastation because it's not going to do well, you know, financially here in the United States, and it's not going to do financially in most places. But there is an audience for it, and we're definitely a part of that audience. Uh, you just have to be well aware of what you're going into because it's very dark and, and unforgiving is the best way to describe it, right? Yeah, there is no redemption in a Chan Wook Park film. Like what you see is just going to get worse. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's hard to relate to anybody. It's hard to root for anybody because everyone is just such a monster. Yeah. And um, you were saying about how like 
American films don't really have that bite because most directors are afraid to go there. Um, I know that for years uh, I was hesitant into jumping into Asian horror. Yeah. For that exact reason, because I know that there are no lines they won't cross and things get real fucky really fast. And yeah. um, after we've done, you know, on this show, we've done audition and itchy the killer. We we've tapped into that. And I would say that it's true very much. And it, it's, I learned with, you know, this and old boy, that it's not just restrained to horror. Every genre, they're going to go as far as they need to go. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is called, on IMDb, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is called a, you know, crime drama thriller. And, you know, yeah, it, it just in comparison to what we have over here, like in the Western part of the world, it's just our thrillers are not nearly, you know, they don't have the same grit, like, like something like even like a film I love that I think has a lot of get grit, a crime thriller, like Zodiac. Awesome. It has a lot of oomph, you know, but few and far between this movie is like, it's, you know, bam, bam, bam. Every, you know, few moments you're seeing something that's extremely painful and, and tough and, and, and can, you know, cause you know nightmares I'll, I'll say there is a scene that i actually you know thought about in my sleep where i was like oh fuck and like kind of woke me up you know like there was a part of this movie that did that to me and we'll we'll get into that later uh there's there's a lot of you know bang 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 in this movie though and i'm, I'm excited to kind of go through it uh i just i i really hope you know the folks out there who maybe are listening just and haven't seen the film or just given a listen uh, I hope you are aware of what you're going into, you know, because it, it, it's tough. It's tough stuff. You know, you pointed out audition, you know, Takashi Miike, you know, uh, Korean, Japanese directors, you know, it's Asia all across the board. There's just a different kind of um, different kind of freedom and liberation through through these kinds of genre films. And it's it's pretty powerful, man. It's pretty powerful stuff. I, I'll say I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I want to say that out front. It's it's hard to kind of be honest about that, but this is what we do on Filmgasm, right? We take the genre films, we take the ones that are tough to talk about, and we talk about them. So yeah. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to do that today. And I would, uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to connect this to something we've been talking about a lot on Oscar Sunday. Yes. So you mentioned the the freedom that filmmakers have had in Asia, and I would say that Europe, Europe. I think it all comes back like America's restrictions towards things like this, their hesitation. I think it all goes back to the goddamn Hays Code. I think 30 years of film restriction, it watered us down. It neutered us. It made film directors, you know, unable to go there. So now we're like 30 years behind where we should be in film. hundred percent. So yeah, hundred percent. You can see it. It's in, it's in waves, right? And you can see it as far as, you know, big popular films go, and you can see the guys who got popular in the 90s were obviously watching stuff from the 60s and 70s. So it, it continues and moves along and moves along. And it, it, we are behind. We're, we're, we're well behind, and we have a lot of, like, growing up to do in the sense of maturing as, like, a cinematic culture. You know, because how, how many American masterpieces are there within the past 10, 20 years? You know? You know, it, a few come to my mind as like personal favorites, but how many true masterpieces have come out that, you know, yeah, 10, 15 years here in America? I don't know. 
you can probably count them on your, you know, a couple hands probably. Whereas it's just, that's just not the case for prior decades for other, uh, other countries and the United States. Uh, and I, I hope there's, you know, new waves, right? There's new waves where new decades just kind of do stuff that's different. And oh man, we have a lot of work to do as far as our, when we give an R rating, it's got to be f- fair game, you know? It really needs to be. And, you know, you watch movies like this, and I just imagine, I imagine Tarantino even wants to go a little little bit darker than he does in his films. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you, you, you can see how these kinds of films, these foreign films, you know, you've read all the time, they inspire guys like Tarantino. And you can see it. You can see it. You're like, oh my God, the abruptness, you know, and the, the violence and the quick dialogue. Uh, I, I, I just wish there was, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come with time. But, and, you know, I think normalizing it and being comfortable with just talking about genre films, that's, that's just part of it. Films that are willing to go this far in America tend to not be very successful, tend to be very underground. Yes. They're just, I know a lot of filmmakers, they have to kowtow to producers and production companies and they have to make these sacrifices for the sake of, you know, having their vision realized. And that's a damn shame. But because of that, the film ends up being not as strong as it might've been. And that happens way too often. And I, I would think that from what I've seen, in Korea, at least, there's not a lot of that. There's a lot of film- filmmakers being trusted to deliver the product because it's their world. It's their domain. It's their story. So, you, you know, they're going to do it. They're going to do it right. And I wish yeah. that that freedom was allotted to more filmmakers in America. Yeah, most certainly. And some of the guys that we've talked about in this show and Oscar Sunday, you know, David Lynch, David Fincher. These are guys that we know that have had movies get fucked up because of you know production companies alfred hitchcock is a guy who's famous who battled production companies all you know throughout his career it's just that's the kind of the game but these directors these like kind of mainstream uh you know directors uh, in, in asia and the eastern part of the world are they're they're fucking crazy man you know takashi Miike is another guy i i, I just along with park they're oh boy they got a lot of crazy stuff going on in their mind and I, I think there's just obviously a place for it in cinema and, you know, we need to open that up more here in the States. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it looks like we are going in that direction. We are starting to have a lot more freedom in American storytelling. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, the avail- the more availability for indie filmmakers to do their own thing, uh, streaming services. There's a lot more avenues for all this shit. So we are, we're getting there. We're close. For sure. Well, yeah. I mean, parasite winning best picture, at the Oscars, uh, obviously a Korean film, Bong Joon-ho, it's like a genre bender. It's got a few moments of, you know, if you haven't seen it at this point, shame on you. Uh, it's got the moment where the, <laughs> it's got the moment where the rock smashes the kid's head. I mean, whoa. It's got basically a slasher scene where the guy finally gets out, grabs the knife off the table in the kitchen and runs outside in the backyard and stabbing people whoa 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 that one best picture you know so yeah for sure it's changing we just want it to change more and more and it's these kinds of conversations are are, is what's going to help it you know normalize it it's okay to in context and when you are aware it's okay to say i love sympathy for mr vengeance 
you just can't, you know, <laughs> you're not going to compare it to, you know, yeah, you know, fucking the English patient or something, you know, you just gotta, it's gotta be in context. True. I mean, you know, this isn't the kind of film I'd throw on at a party. I mean, I'm going to. No, exactly. Bed. Exactly. It's yeah. <laughs> but there's obviously an audience and I, I'm really glad that the book <laughs> allowed us to go here. Right. Um, yeah. Praise be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like going, I like going to the foreign films, man. All hail the magic book. It's amazing. We've, <laughs> We've personally picked maybe four episodes in the past year because of this book. It's fucking yeah. great. Like yeah. most of what we do is not, you know, planned. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's beautiful. Oh. So um, I don't, we won't talk a lot about the cast because frankly, you know, we're, we're not that well-versed in Korean cinema. We're not going to really have a lot to talk about with these guys' careers, but I do want to talk about Mr. Kang Ho's song. Yeah, of course, right? I mean, we just <laughs> talked about we just talked about Parasite, and he's you know playing the dad in that movie, and oh man, the, oh my the boy, God. the boy has got some chops, and you know he's in the host, he's in Snowpiercer, he's Bong Joon Ho's go to guy. Uh, I really, really, really like him. Uh, would you, what's your favorite performance of his? Probably this one, actually. <laughs> I think Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. He was on a different level. I mean, playing such, he's not even involved in this kid's life. But he has it complete. His life completely destroyed because his little this shit kidnapped his daughter, and the the lengths he goes to, the just you know, he completely shuts himself off to I'm going to kill everyone involved in this, and you yeah. get it. Like yeah, that's exactly what I would do if you know if I had a kid and this happened, I would want to murder everybody who did it. hundred percent, hundred percent. It, but it also some uh, one way I kind of interpreted it was like this this father was not you know not in the child's life and so once the child is gone it's kind of like you know they they don't miss you until you're gone they never miss you until you're dead or you're gone you know yeah. that that whole that whole f- phrase it's i thought about that a lot where he sees the picture of you know him with uh with ryu and the ryu's girlfriend and, and or ryu's sister sorry and you see those pictures and whatnot and it's like oh man like he's looking at that because he he might not even have some of these photos of his own right because he wasn't he wasn't there he wasn't present in the in the little girl's life the little girl was like clearly enjoying herself with these people it's just like eating at him so even so if you were a great father and he were awesome it would make even more sense that he was like oh no like I'm going to go John Wick on this shit, you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the fact that he was a bad dad makes it kind of complex where it's like, Oh man, he's trying to, he's trying to somehow avenge something because he was not even present in her life and she's gone. So he has no chance to become a good dad. So he's like, fuck it. And you know, there's that major scene, you know, where we're told what's going to happen. But so you you know so much is happening and so much follows it that you kind of forget and then the ending happens and you're like oh damn like no forgiveness no redemption it's over you know just 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 straight it's one of those straight up game over movies where that's it just e- e- evil and death win true but even um, you know on that journey there's slivers of hope and because no nobody intended anything like this to happen all of the, everything that happens in this movie is a complete fucking accident but 
your perceptions of right and wrong kind of change throughout this movie? Like, what are you willing to accept from who I would say becomes, I think the protagonist and the antagonist get switched halfway through this movie. Because at first you're like, okay, Ryu is going to get, you know, he's going to kidnap this girl. It's bad, but he's doing it for the right reasons. But then as soon as she dies, we're now following Park and his quest for revenge. And Ryu kind of becomes the bad guy. But I think you can kind of flip either way and make your own decision. Like who, who's at fault here? That's the thing though. Like to to me, there is no, it's gray. It's just a gray. It's just death took over death one death one here yeah especially especially when we see the group of people at the end of the movie leave in the van and you're like they're they we don't know who they are we don't know their names they're that's just death and they just won they just walked off and the credits start rolling and it's like there there is no like oh like even in you know a film like jaws like that i adore with all all of my heart but one of the reasons i love it is that quint dies is that the three guys that go on the journey to find this fucking shark and take it down, only two of them return. I like that decision that, oh, it, it's going to, you're going to have to pay for it though. To deal with this monster, to deal with death, you're going to have to fucking pay for it. This movie takes that to the extreme that it's just straight up eye for an eye. It's never, it's like if you put your poker chip in, well, the other guy is too. Like, that's it. If there is no, there is no like, oh, oh, but like, oh, like, they weren't paying attention there. And and I even thought of a film like uh, Minister Society where it's just like, bam, bam, devastation, devastation. You're not going to win. You might think that you got away, but no, you didn't. <laughs> There's still someone coming after you. Uh, karma's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And I love that Park goes that far. I mean, it's not, you know, he's not looking for justice. He wants these fuckers dead and he wants to do it. And it's not you know, a, it's not a bullet in the head. It is harsh, horrific torture for, for Ryu and his girl. I mean, holy shit. And, you know, those are the people you're following for, for the first half of the movie. These are the people you see, you know, lose their job and, you know, try to save, Ryu tries to save his sister. Like, you, you relate to these people. You, I would argue you'd like these people. Yeah, to an, to an extent, for sure, especially, you know, he's, uh, Ryu is, is deaf and mute, right? And you're seeing the job he has, and it's a piece of shit job, and you're like, oh, man, like, I just want something, I want something to happen for this guy, right? Like, I want him to get a break, you know, you see him, some of the shots of, of their apartment, and him just, like, eating soup, I thought were amazing shots, and, and that's just stuff I really, really like when you're watching foreign films, because you get a good, you know, get a good look at a perspective on, you know, what do the flat flats look like? What do the streets look like? All this stuff. And this movie does a really good job of just putting you right into, you know, this setting. And I, I really like that. I, I agree, man. I think the first, I want to say like 40 minutes or so I'm on Ryu's side. I'm, I'm mostly rooting for Ryu. I want him to figure some stuff out. And I think also a lot of it is you don't know park. You don't know who he is. He's a friend oh, no. of Ryu's boss. Like they only decide to kidnap his daughter after they realize the, they're going to be the first suspects if Ryu's boss's daughter goes missing. So that decision to, to have that disconnect and to just completely like infiltrate somebody who's never done anything wrong to you to do that to them. It really takes you away from Ryu and puts you in Park's corner. But then once Park embraces just like, you know, 
electrocuting the girl and slicing Ryu's feet. Like fucking hell, man. It's hard to root for somebody who's go who would go that far. But you know, yeah. and in the end, when he gets killed by those uh that terrorist <laughs> organization, what good lord, I can't believe that was that was real. But um when that happens, you know, again, you feel bad for Park. It's your emotions are really fucking toyed with with this movie. It's really hard to know what like are you right? Are you wrong? Like what happened? <laughs> and I yeah, and I, I know that you're you're a big fan of like you know, you're a storyteller yourself and you're a yeah. writer yourself. So when it comes to the story within and you're trying to grapple with, well, at the end of the day, who was I supposed to root for? <laughs> like there, there, I, I really don't think there is an answer. They're really, and that's, that's why I kind of love, love this movie is that it, it forces you to not make a decision because there is no decision to be made. <laughs> you're just, you're, as the viewer, you're kind of fucked just like the characters. And I, I, I like when movies do that, kind of put you put you in a place like, you know, I'm going to fuck with you for two hours. I know I'm distracting you and you're just going to sit through it because it looks really good. I love movies that do that. You know, the Coens are masters of that. David Fincher is a master of that. Just kind of piecing scene by scene, boom, 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 and creeping you out. I, that's kind of my thing, you know? So when it's taken to this extreme where there really, really is no answer. I, I kind of love it. And it, it's weird because usually I hate an ending that comes out of nowhere, but I fucking loved this ending. I was, it was, it, it was just oh. so perfect. It made such sense for this story. You know, nobody gets away with revenge. Revenge will destroy anybody. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's no good way. There's no good path towards that kind of vengeance. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, when Park, when Park, you know, like you said, cuts, he cuts Ryu's like Achilles tendon on both sides and lets him bleed out underwater, mind you. Uh, <laughs> that 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 really, really, really unsettled me, and I had a nightmare about that. I had a nightmare that my Achilles tendon was was cut. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and I I woke up immediately and like I had to get into a different position where the rest of the night while I slept because I was like I need to be close to my feet like. <laughs> wow man yeah it was crazy and so then when that when that happens i immediately thought i was like was she fucking with him when she said a hundred percent a hundred percent terrorist group my terrorist group's gonna kill you a hundred percent it's for your own good and then he electrocutes the shit out of her while he's looking at the picture of them i was like was that real you know and then sure enough these guys come up fucking john snow style style just boom you know just stabbing the shit out of him Dude, and then, the sound and then design straight to the heart <laughs> yeah the fucking knife in the chest. That's that. The sound design there was like, you know, I jumped. Like, oh my god! Yeah. Oh, it's a brutal scene. And, and again, reminding me of that the scene in Zodiac, right by the lake, broad daylight. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is against the rules, you know. <laughs> I'm. I, I thought Michael Myers was, you know, coming out in the middle of the night, and but it's in the middle of the day. I like, I like that kind of an ending. Again, just unforgiving as hell. And really, you know, is is kind of a story out of hell. It really is. It's it's so evil, and death wins. <laughs> oh Jesus! You get the feeling that all of these fuckers are going to see each other again. Like they're all going to the same right, place. Right? Yeah. Right. And the terrorist group knows this. Even again, I love that we don't know their names. We just get a glimpse of them for just a moment, and they are all just boom, boom, boom. This is our job. You know, stab, 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 and then they're on their way. Right. And 
Park is going to die. So, and, and what what life was he going to go back to? Right? He fucked oh, yeah. up as a he fucked up as a dad. His 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 daughter got kidnapped. His daughter died. He's like you know apparently this you know crazy crazy rich guy, right? So, what's he going to go back to? You know, after he's murdered all these people. <laughs> Well, and he said, you, like, you, you can't, you can't go back. You're, you know, there's no way. So he, well, and he, he said, he was like, either gonna have to go on the run or die. He sold his company, like he gave everything away so yeah. he could find them. Like ev- yeah, he sacrificed was- everything he had left to make this happen. So yeah, his life was fucked anyway. That was it. Yeah. <sighs> Jesus. Yeah, Kang Ho Song, I believe, is where we were at the beginning of that. But yeah, he fucking rock. He killed it. Like literally, I thought he was fantastic. And uh, yeah, he yeah he's the highlight of of the film for sure. As when you walk away. Uh, I don't know how to say his name properly, but Ha Kyun Shin as as Ryu, stellar performance. Yeah. Uh, my personal favorite scene, maybe or most entertaining, was the one where he comes in with a baseball bat and whacks that guy and then stabs the dude in the throat. Whoa! What? Because you know it was a really cool tracking shot in that hallway at the apartment complex. And when he, he circles back around, I was like, oh, my God, this is just so evil. And he, you know, aluminum baseball bat just smacks the guy in the skull and carry on. You know, that was a pretty that was a pretty brutal scene. As evil as those people were, Ryu was a fucking idiot for getting mixed up with him in the first place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When he got left <laughs> naked after the. Uh, yeah. What, what is it again? Um, kidney. Yeah, yeah. Never, under any circumstances, no matter what culture you're in, what country you're in, never agree to back alley surgery unless you have what they promised first. <laughs> I mean, 10 million, what was it? 10 million won. Not even. Not even. Yeah. He, he believed that. He was that desperate. And then yeah, yeah. The, the, like the next fucking day, the doctor's like, hey, we have a donor and it's only going to cost 10 million won. The deflation on his face. <sighs> God, you felt it, man. You felt it in your heart. Like, Jesus. Yeah, just getting, f- you know, you know, and yeah, Ryu is just a character who's just by default, the way he's born and is just kind of fucked by society and neglected completely. And definitely, thank goodness he had his sister there for a minute who cared, really cared about him. But then he fucked that up too by not telling her the truth. And that really starts the devastation of this film. Like it really does. That's like the old, that's like the first like, Oh shit. Cause that's when, when his sister commits suicide, that's when Ryu takes her to the river and that's when the girl dies. So it's like, ev- that's when like, Oh Jesus, that's when it all kind of starts. And it's just, at, at that point, it's just death, death, death every like 10 minutes. <laughs> Other than the little girl drowning, which is easily the most horrific moment of the movie. Uh, for me, it's when Ryu comes home and the little girl's watching cartoons and he just sits on the floor with her and she's just like, oh, I had to give you this. Like and it's he, a note. And he reads the note and it says like, please give her back. These are my dying, wi- like these are my final wishes. And he just, just like jumps up and goes to the bathroom. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> After everything he did for her, all of this was to save her. She, she kills herself. Unbelievable. Yeah, and he he lets out. I brought this up in Oscar Sunday uh, from Boys Town when when Mickey Mickey Rooney does the kind of when 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 a character just kind of just drops for a minute yeah. and kind of is like kind of kind of 
reflects on the situation itself and how fucked they are and how, how bad it sucks. And that's definitely what's happening here with Ryu's. The character of Ryu is kind of like, you know, do I hold my sister? She's here in the bathtub and he just kind of lets out it. You know, he's, he's mute and deaf, but he lets out this kind of, you know, weird shriek that is so effective and, and, you know, starts the movie. It turns the movie into something different and much darker from that point on. I don't know what it is about. This might just be me, but I don't think it is. There is something about an actor reacting to death Yes, that really, for me, defines their performance, like the way one hundred percent. I don't know why, but there's just something. Every movie I've ever seen, where you know somebody close to the character dies, they see it happen, and that's their you know sobbing reaction to it. For me, is the just most powerful an actor can be. Yeah. Sometimes you know some are really some are amazing at it. Some fucking suck at it. This kid yeah. was really good, and so was Kang Ho Song. Jesus, man. Yeah, that, that's definitely you. Can, if you can show that you can shine in that moment, that kind of a moment, you know, my, my favorite movie ever, Magnolia, it features one of the best father son moments where the father is dying. And Tom Cruise, you know, Frank T.J. Mackey's character, you know, that character is. Yeah, and Tom Cruise goes to just ex- way different places than I you know, knew he could or knew, knew that any actor really could go. And it is definitely that, I mean, death, when you're confronted with death and someone being gone forever and that's it. There's no more conversations. There's no more closure. That's it. It's over. It's, it's, it's a fucking crazy thing to battle with in your own mind about how you're going to leave earth. You're like, okay, well, one day I'm going to leave earth. I want to do all I can while I'm here, you know, and, you know, contribute to society and be a good person. But then you think about the people that you're close to leaving and you're like, I don't, I don't want them to go. I'm okay with going, but I don't want them to leave, you know, and the people that you're friends with and look up to and inspire you or, or, I mean, your, your fucking, your children, your siblings. I mean, that's it, right? That's the stuff that keeps you moving. So if you can't imagine that being next to you, then you're kind of like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. And it is for sure one of the best ways to set up a movie and set up any kind of story, not just a movie, but uh, whether it be a book or whatever it may be when you're dealing with death and specifically within a family. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And it's, it's, you know, one of the most impactful things you can do in cinema. Absolutely, man. Well said. And after seeing uh, a good chunk of his performances at this point, I'm very surprised Kang Ho song hasn't broken into Hollywood. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely something I've I've like tried to look up some stuff about him. Like, what's the deal here? I think he, I think he likes where he's at. I think he likes the niche he's in. And he's fair, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. He's in a good spot. He's you know arguably probably most you know Korea's most famous actor. He's the fucking George Clooney of South Korea. Most oh, likely. especially yeah, especially here in the western part of the world. Yeah, he yeah for sure the most well known. Uh, and and Parasite just kind of capped that, like, oh yeah, he's he's incredible. And I thought it was a damn shame he wasn't nominated for. Uh, I I, th- I would think best supporting actor would be his uh, his lane. And I, yeah, I just thought he was lights out in that movie. You know what? Maybe we'll see some kind of you know Western appearance from him in the next few years. I hope so. But if not, you know, he's he's definitely found his groove. He's killing it over there. And uh, yeah, I just look forward to seeing more from him. 
Yeah, I agree. He uh, worked worked alongside Chris Evans and Tilda Swinton very, very well in Snowpiercer. So I, I don't think it's a challenge at all as far as language barrier or anything like that. He'll be okay. <laughs> yes, indeed. So Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance has an IMDb score of 7.6, a Rotten Tomato score of only 54%. Uh, it only grossed a little under $2 million U.S. and was a commercial failure in Korea at the time. It's since been reevaluated and embraced as a cult hit, and uh, it is available on the Criterion channel along with Lady Vengeance if you do want to watch it. And uh, let's talk about some of our favorite moments of the movie. I know we've already co- covered a few, but there is a lot of this film to dig into. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's let's do it. Yeah, man. The beginning is, you know, a table setter and i for one love the uh bit where he's hitting the baseballs the kind of the machine pitcher yeah and it's just going at him he keeps just whacking it i love that sound and i thought the sound editing in this movie was just fucking spot on we already brought up that last scene with the stabs but it's it's the whole film all together you know you have you have a scene of achilles tendons getting sliced you have a scene of electrocution you have, you know, all these different things and it's dealing with a deaf and mute character. So I, I just found that all to be fascinating. I love the way they tell you that the kid's mute, the kid is deaf. First, yeah. you've got that, you know, recorded message he does for his sister. And then you got the doctor kind of like, like yelling at him. Where yes. this, at first I'm like, geez, this doctor's very rude. But then I'm like, no, wait, he's deaf. <laughs> it was, it was a smart way to do it. Yes. Uh, one thing I do want to point out so Ryu has a very distinctive look. He's got green, kind of a bluish green hairstyle. And mm-hmm. uh, I felt like if you're going to kidnap a little girl, you either need to blindfold her the whole time or you need to dye your hair. Because the second she comes back, he's going to go to the cops and be like, you know, somebody kidnapped my daughter. And they're going to talk to her like, what did they look like? And she, the first thing she's going to say is one of them had green hair. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Or, or at least, like, yeah, I, I would just shave it. Give yourself a buzz cut. Yeah, wear a hat, something. <laughs> but don't, you know, just let this little girl see, who, like, what, you know, what you look like the whole time. But, you know, I think that just proves that they were not prepared for this. They were not ready to kidnap somebody. They'd never done it before. They didn't want to do it. They felt they had to do it. And, uh, yeah, that that, you know, lack of preparation just leads to just, absolute devastation <laughs> um let's talk about the mentally handicapped guy at the river okay yeah that's a that's a strong performance yeah that is such an odd inclusion to have this guy with palsy just walking around the river looking for shiny things and but why but why not i like i like unhinged stuff like that where because because no matter what's happening with our main characters, that guy's there. And you kind of have to keep your eye on him because you're like, what is that fucker doing? And it reminded me a lot of Boogie Nights when you go to Alfred Molina's house and there's that character throwing the firecrackers at the ground. Bah! Bah! <laughs> and, you know, Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley, they're, whoa, you know, bouncing back and trying to, you know, essentially they're about to steal cocaine. I love when something on the screen is just there for no fucking reason at all. We have no idea why, but it's unsettling. So you have to keep your eye on it. It's like, Oh, you know, 
it's 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 amazing and that's kind of i love that part of cinema because you can't look away (laughs) you can't look at your phone you can't look at anything else you know you're like ah shit what's that one random guy gonna do even if it's nothing you got to keep your eye on it (laughs) but in that scene you just you get this vibe that something bad is gonna happen oh it's yeah unquestioned yeah and yeah. that guy just goes a long way towards it. He's just the way he's like, you know, he scares the shit out of a little girl and that leads to her freaking out and running for Ryu and she falls in the river and drowns. And he doesn't jump in to save her because he thinks the water's deep, but it's not because he hasn't been there since he was a kid. It's so, so sad. Oh, man. Yeah. While he's burying, yeah, his, his, his sister. Why was he? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, that's the place they, they like played around as kids. So he just wanted to do that for her, but man turned into a really dark river. Yeah. <sighs> My God. Oof. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we well, could go anywhere. We could go anywhere. I think every scene is worth talking about. Uh, I think, uh, let's see. How about, how about, like, I want to talk a bit about, the cinematography uh, in the, the first half of the film, because I do think it's trying to do something that people, or I think critics have missed completely. Okay. And I think it's something that Parasite did really well. And I think it's something that I like about films, something that Waves did really well that you just watched recently is allow you to, as the viewer, because of the length of the film, when you're around two hours or more, you can, you can kind of play with tones and that's usually due to how the camera's working and usually due to the cinematographer. And I think in this film, I would say it's the first, again, I think it's before the suicide. I think the first 40 minutes of cinematography are different than the last hour and 20 or so, where I think it's more wide shots, uh, more observant, more, you know, letting you feel how you want to feel about Ryu. And then the latter half of the film is very, again, kind of like John Wick, kind of, you know, up close action because of now where our main character now is Park and we're following him and we're on his journey of vengeance. And I think that's something that critics have missed is that's that takes a lot of skill to do that within a two hour frame. It's possible, but it's hard to do to tonally shift your movie completely in an effective way and to do it in a very, very dark way in this case. Sometimes a film will open up real dark to like, to like, hey, this is what we're where we're at, and then it doesn't have a way to capture that again later in the film. But in this case, it leads up to this. It has this kind of slow build, similar to audition, boom, you know, just like bam, 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 build, build, build. And I, I, I really, really appreciated that. I think the critics are just so wrong on this one. I don't think it's this, you know, B grade movie that is just like you know scary stuff thriller i I actually think it's a really well done well crafted piece of cinema that should be reevaluated well you know the criterion collection thought the same that's why it's there yeah uh, well yeah i for a reason you know there's films i've watched in there where i'm like oh okay it's on here for whatever they you know they need to fill some slots i've watched some not weak films on there but some that i'm like oh they don't seem like they belong to me but this one i get it i totally get it they see something in it we do too it it's it's a fucking again it's a well-crafted piece of piece of work i admire any director who can successfully combine tones because it's so difficult to do and so many directors fuck it up yeah oh all the time all the 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 devil all the time had no idea to me at times like 
what tone are we? And it's like, uh, but you're not Pulp Fiction, so you can't be two and a half hours. You're not that interesting. <laughs> and then, you know, and then, you know, but you like aspects of it. You like performances in it, but you want it to kind of go there. And this movie totally knew what it was doing the whole time. And I, I, I respect the shit out of that. Absolutely. Like, you know, we talked about Parasite a little earlier. I think that film may be the best example of combining tones, you know, of the past 20 years. I mean, that film is, you know, it starts out as a drama, becomes a comedy, evolves into a thriller and finishes off as a horror movie. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it it does like four gear switches. Yeah. (laughs) And it all works. It's it's, yeah. And it's not easy. It's not easy to transition that. It's not easy to get actors who can do it all. And it's not easy to find the right amount of time to where it makes sense and have the right ending. And yeah, I just appreciate, I appreciate when films do it right. Totally, man. That's a great observation. Yeah. This movie absolutely accomplishes that. And I mean, I love how dark it does go because it starts off as kind of a drama with a little bit of uh, optimism in it. Like, you know, Hey, you know, she's dying, but it's fixable. They can save her. Maybe this will work out but it turns into full-blown, like, you get what you fucking pay for, and, you know, you're going to go this route, it's going to bite you in the ass. Yeah. I I mean, we see him, we see part, the way he tortures uh, Ryu's girl is really disturbing to me. (laughs) Something about that really fucked me up. It was just, you know, the electrodes on the ear and just, like, throwing a blanket over her, hitting charge and walking away. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's the yeah it's the little things that he does with all of that the licking her ear Oof. jesus christ kang ho song <laughs> i hope to that's, god that was in the script <laughs> that's that's some evil evil shit you know he licks both ears and i thought the darkest to me the darkest part of the movie where he, it was like t- for him i don't know I mean, there's a lot of parts that are dark but for him where he's like i don't give a fuck is when she pees and he puts the blanket on it while he's eating. And then when he gets back up, throws the blanket back on her with the piss on it. Like, fuck you. And it is like, wow, that is, you just, the the audacity to put that on screen. Like he just, he's treating her like a piece of piece of filth. Like you fucked with my kid. This is what you get. And it it is super dark. And I, when I, when I saw that, I was like, Oh man, like, he just really doesn't care. He does not care. He's going to... And when she's saying, 100%, you're going to die because this, he just continues looking at a picture and charge again, baby. You know, like, he's just... He's, he's like, in that mindset of, like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Well, and, you know, he, as well as us, thinks she's completely full of shit when she says that. You know, who would believe my, if you kill me, my terrorist organization is going to fuck you up? That is the most <laughs> empty threat ever. But well, it's because fully the, accurate. Because of the movies we watch, I might, I might believe it for a minute. <laughs> Fair enough. But even like with her, you know, we see earlier when they investigate the crime scene at the, um, at the organ donor place, they see her flyers and they're like, oh, it's an organization of just her. There's nothing to worry about here. That's what I thought they were telling us that as a way to know her threat was empty. But <laughs> it wasn't. I still can't fucking believe that, that they really did show up and kill him. Because of that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Good Lord. The scene that really got, that got me, because it was so fucking, like, uh, it was such a lack of empathy. 
was right after they find the little girl's body and park is in the, uh, the ambulance or in the truck in the police car talking to the cop. Yeah. And he gets a phone call and goes out to talk to his wife and he's saying something like, it's going to be okay. Hey, at least our kid wasn't murdered. And he's in full, he's parks right there. He can hear him. Yeah. I was like, fuck man, Jesus, have some, you know, decorum. (laughs) I couldn't believe that. Like I thought Parker was going to walk out there and deck him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would. Yeah. Jesus. There's just, you get the vibe that nobody cares about anything beyond themselves in this movie until like something horrible happens to them. Yeah. It's Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Can't look away. You just can't. Yeah. You just can't look away. It's, it's incredible. Truly, truly. Um, anything else you'd like to mention from this one? No, I just think it's funny. You know, I, I've read some reviews, you know, like here and there about this movie after watching it. And it's just funny when like there, here's one that I kind of marked uh, this one that was from entertainment weekly uh, Owen Gleiberman back when this movie came out in 2002 and just here's just a, a snippet of it. He said, so badly told that it ends up dissecting a corruption that exudes from nowhere but itself. <laughs> you're just like, you're like, why'd you even watch it? Like, you know, what the, didn't, couldn't, didn't you tell like, yeah, this probably isn't up my alley. Like, just don't watch it. You already went into it thinking like, these are not my kind of movies. Don't watch it. Here's another one. This guy gave it a 10 out of 100. Slowly degenerates into a, uh, sorry slowly degenerates into a gory revenge thriller that is never thrilling, but is often boring and frequently repulsive. Uh, yeah. Repulsive. Of course, like don't watch the movie. I don't understand. <laughs> and I, I just think when in context, you know, watch this movie and take what you want from it, but you, you do have to be aware. And I just can't stand when people watch movies and write reviews for them. Like they already fucking decided that they don't like it. That's so stupid. People who think like that, people who review movies they already don't like of a of a genre they don't like, it's like someone going to a burger joint and being being upset because their tacos aren't good. Like, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't and, get it. I don't get that the, mentality. There's genres that I'm not, you know, like, you know, super excited about. Like, if I write a review for a musical. You know, if I write a re- say if I write ten musical reviews and ten you know horror reviews, I'm probably going to like more of the horror movies just because like that's my taste. But I'm still going to be open to those other ones, and I'm not going to just go into them thinking this is stupid as shit. I mean, we've watched some films for Oscar Sunday that I never thought I would watch, and then I've I've taken something out of them because I put my fucking walls down and watched the movie. Jesus, this it, it's tough to go there though. I understand having that mindset of like, I fucking hate this genre. Why am I here? Because that's exactly how I feel about rom-coms. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, you got to give them that chance. You got to give them that tough. chance. Cause there's, there's those gems out there for everybody. Like, even if you don't like horror, there's going to be those horror movies that you will like, because maybe they're, Oh, I really like the drama from it. You know, like I know hereditary connected with a lot of fans of, you know, fans that aren't, you know, totally in with horror. You know what I mean? Yeah. It connect it connected with, you know, a drama crowd. You know, my, my dad went and saw it and he's not really a big horror fan, but he loves Tony Collette, you know, Gabrielle Byrne and thought it was a fantastic film. 
so it can do that there's those gems for people i just i, I wish people wouldn't go into them knowing already and write this review 10 out of 100 what the fuck yeah hereditary is another film that i think was you know masterful at balancing two different tones you had you know the drama side with the family and then the horror of the demons worked so well together and it is yeah. a solid drama you take the demons out of that movie it's just as terrifying yeah you just just wait one day that'll be the shining of our generation you just wait that is high praise damn <laughs> but yeah i think it is important to turn off your walls when you're watching film that's outside your comfort zone it's not easy but it must be done or else you know you go in expecting something to suck that sour mood is going to affect your judgment i know i've fucking been there <laughs> so it's really tough. Thankfully, these podcasts have given me the opportunity to kind of coach myself into doing that. And uh, it's been it's been good. I'm getting better at that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think we've even, you know, disliked some films and whatever, given them four, fives, sixes, maybe, whatever it may be. But that's 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 not what I'm saying. That's not really my point. My point is you can clearly tell when a guy is giving a movie, yeah, a, essentially a one out of ten, he 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 didn't he didn't give it a chance. <laughs> I think the simple like the simple lesson here is you should never hate or love a movie before you watch it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, let the movie do the talking. Yeah, and, and sometimes think- sometimes your judgment will be probably a little bit correct, but most of the time you should do the work yourself. I agree. Like I, I don't do this. Like I try to do this a lot. It's not easy, but I try not to look at a film's Rotten Tomatoes score or IMDb score before I've, you know, finished it because that's gonna affect my opinion of the film. Yes, it, yeah, I agree with you, especially with a film like this that I don't know much about. Now, if say I hadn't seen like one of the Wes Anderson movies, right? Like, I, oh, I just haven't seen Life Aquatic. Eh, it's not gonna hurt to see that it has a 7.7 or whatever in IMDb because I, I know what I'm going into, but I totally agree with you. It's a film, especially a new film, like a 2020 film or something that you don't know much about. You should try to go in blind, try to go in with like a, just a little bit of knowledge. Obviously you want to know the rating so that, you know, if you don't like R rated movies, you know, if that's your thing, then yeah, you know, definitely you don't watch. Yeah. Yes. But like, as far as plot and actual story, yeah, try to, try to go on blind and you know when you're like us and we just are desensitized as fuck and have no barriers we just go into blind complete blind we don't give a shit well i did not expect like when i saw this movie you know i watched sympathy for mr vengeance last night and i thought that was really good and then i looked at the scores and i'm like 54 i never would have called that never would have thought me me too me too i was like what i I mean 7.6 imdb makes sense okay that's pretty that's decent that's fine But That's yeah, then when I looked at I looked at the other yeah, meta score and the Rotten Tomatoes, I was like 55, 54. What the hell? Like the audience doesn't like it and this and that. And I looked some stuff up and read some reviews that were just kind of dogging it. And I was like, they they totally missed this movie. They didn't even watch it. They were watching the same thing as me. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird how you know we can come we can watch the same movie come away with completely different uh mindsets on it. But you know, that happens a lot, especially on film because we like weird shit we like horror films we like korean thrillers and we're gonna continue to give this stuff the time of day <laughs> uh yeah 100 percent. this and you know when we did itchy the killer 
you know, it only makes me want to do them more. And it only makes me, if we were to make hand picks more often, I'd fucking hand pick foreign films left and right. Cause it's just, I, I want to learn more. I want to see more shit and uh, hats off to criterion for adding a really cool amount of, of horror stuff and, you know, genre stuff in October for, uh, you know, obviously for Halloween and the season tis the season here at filmgasm. <laughs> Hell yeah. And from here on out, the rest of our October picks are classic horror movies and it's going to be fun. Yeah. Oh my God. The next three are, yeah. You know, kind of like Titan type uh, titles of the game, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Uh, So with that, let's talk about uh, some filmgasm facts for sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Number one, this is the first film in history to have a sex scene that includes sign language. (laughs) Hell yeah. Weird. All right, cool. I'm down with it. You know me, I don't give a shit, I, 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 whether it's horror or, or uh, you know, I've, I've watched movies that have crazy drug intake since I was 15 or, you know, 14, whatever. Like, I, I, I also look at, you know, sexual scenes in the same way. You know, I, I really like a lot of movies that kind of go there in, in that realm. And I thought that scene was really fascinating. And I, I didn't think about, oh, is this the first time I've ever seen this? But that's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, it, apparently it was the first time you'd ever seen that. That's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> Good Number for two. Ryu. Yeah, cool. In an interview, uh, Hakun Shin Ryu said that in the scene where Park kills Ryu, the beating was actually real because the filmmakers were not able to use special effects. <laughs> that is some fucking dedication. <laughs> Jesus. Take a hardcore revenge beating for the love of the game. <laughs> Damn. God damn. They couldn't shoot the poster for the film the next day because his face was still swollen. And uh, Kang Ho Song invited him for a drink as an apology. Good Lord, man. That's amazing. <laughs> God, if that happened in an American film, there would be inquests. There would be a fucking trial. They would never work in this town again. All that shit. But in Korea, it's like, well, it's Wednesday and we can't do special effects or- kick the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah go to town go to town buddy oh my god number three kang ho song shouted for three days to break his voice in order to sound more authentic and tired for the scene where he's screaming for help through the black plastic bag and how fucking weird was that <laughs> just ah, like just screaming for help images yeah images god he screened for three days to get his voice to sound tired. Dedication. Just for, just for that part, yeah. And number four, in January 2010, Warner Brothers acquired the rights for an American remake of this film, but it has yet to happen. So there's this has been in production hell for 10 years now, and I doubt that Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance will ever be remade in America because, frankly, it just wouldn't work. No, I don't even... I can't even... I honestly can't even make a guess at what director, what screen, you know, screenwriter, what actors would be in this. I have no idea. Well, we saw Spike Lee take on Old Boy, and that didn't exactly work out well, did it? No, 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 no. Some movies don't translate to America. They just don't. No, well, no, especially like that one. Just doesn't ha- doesn't have the grit. Like, what are we doing? You know, if you if you can't bring that over, then fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I give this film an eight. 
It's a wild ride with interesting, morally gray characters and some unforgettable imagery. I think it's great. Yeah, I give it a nine. I'm definitely going to revisit it. I'll probably try to fucking find it online, try to buy this one. Um, Super, super hyped that it's on Criterion along with Lady Vengeance. I'm going to check that one out soon uh, and continue to watch a bunch of new horror movies that I haven't seen before. It's, uh, It's been a lot of fun, man. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I love when the book takes us to new territory. Yeah. And while this wasn't technically new territory, it's still unfamiliar enough for me to be excited about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Kind of untapped kind of, you know, yeah. sort of like, oh, we got it. We got to We got to continue to continue to tap on it. Exactly. So to close out this week's show, uh, we're going to do a 2002 movie draft where we each pick and choose a number of films from a list of every 2002 movie we've both seen. Yes. And, yeah. And we'll decide on the winner based on who we believe has the tighter list. It's a chance to spotlight some of our favorite films of that year. Yeah. And, uh, we've both seen a lot from 2002. <laughs> yeah it's a it's a hefty list here very random uh you know lots of lots of ip here you know we got we got some harry potters we got some lord of the rings we got some spider-mans we got some scooby-doos you know we got some star wars yeah, it's all over the place it's great oh boy well i'll go ahead and read out the films that uh we're gonna use all right um i believe i took out all the ones that you said you hadn't seen so i think we have a good list here we have, and in no specific order, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Red Dragon, Spider-Man, Catch Me If You Can, Scooby-Doo, City of God, The Pianist, Gangs of New York, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, The Count of Monte Cristo, Insomnia, The Bourne Identity, Resident Evil, 28 Days Later, Chicago, Signs, The Ring, Ice Age, Die Another Day, Eight Mile, Lilo and Stitch, Men in Black 2, Road to Perdition, Austin Powers, Goldmember, Van Wilder, Equilibrium, Punch Drunk Love, 25th Hour, Blade 2, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, The Scorpion King, The Transporter, Cabin Fever, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Halloween Resurrection, Undercover Brother, Big Fat Liar, Spy Kids 2, Island of Lost Dreams, The Master of Disguise, Kung Pao Enter the Fist, Orange County, The Santa Claus 2, and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. <laughs> so how many are we going to draw? Uh, I say five is a good one. Good way to keep it, keep it tight, keep it concise, keep it competitive. Uh, and if you want to start this one off, man, you can. All right. So there's a lot of franchise films in this list. There's a lot of Big ones from franchises I adore. Yes. But I want The Count of Monte Cristo. Holy Lord Almighty. Okay. That is one of my favorite films of all time. I know. You had it in your top 10 of the decade. <laughs> and yeah, there's no way I was walking out of this without that film. So <laughs> go well, ahead. I think, you, I think you could have saved it. I'm going to take Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. <laughs> yep, I knew. All yours. As much as I love the Lord of the Rings franchise, the Two Towers is the one I like the least. It's still a ten. It's still a ten, but it's the one. <laughs> I <like the> least. <laughs> uh, that's funny. It's like it's like it's like if yeah, if like LeBron James has a bad game, oh, he still had twenty five points, ten rebounds. You know. <laughs> All oh, right, you, your second pick. Go ahead. Okay, I'm gonna take Twenty Eight Days Later. 
Yeah, good pick. That's a ten. That's another ten right there. Awesome, awesome film. Great episode. That was fun. We talked about that one on the show. I dig it. Um, let's see. I'm gonna go ahead and take another classic. Go ahead and steal the Martin Scorsese, uh, Gangs of New York. Ah, very nice. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great film. That's another one we've done on the show. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's partly why I took it. You know, we got <laughs> we've got context. Yes, indeed. There are some classics here. I'm going to take Rose of Perdition. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great one, right? I'd say that's a solid nine for me. I would love to love to do that on, on the show. Yes, indeed. That's one that could go on either show because that's just such a fantastic film. I think four Oscar nominations. I think that's right, yeah. Wonderful. Great pick, great pick. Oh, we got a tight race here, I would say. <laughs> um, fuck it. Uh, I got to go because this movie is uh, I'll talk about it a bit a bit before is one of the first PG-13 movies I got to see as a kid. And it's still something I put on when I'm like feeling kind of uh, whether it be isolated mentally or in a strange place, especially this year, 2020. I've thrown it on so many times during during this year just because I, I, it makes me feel comfortable, makes me feel at home. That's fucking Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Well done. Yeah, that's a classic. As as good as the MCU has been with Spider-Man, there's something about those first two Raimi films I keep coming back to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful choice. I'm going to go a similar route. Uh, one of the films that scared the absolute hell out of me when I was a kid. Uh, there's a certain scene there where... Um, a certain character actor we both love uh, gets his tongue bitten off and set on fire. <laughs> Scared the absolute fuck out of me. I was like eight. I was not expecting that. Red Dragon. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. Uh, great build up there. I adore that film. Definitely was going to take it if you didn't. So I was going to take that one with my fifth if you didn't. Uh, Put me in a tough spot here. We have. I, I have a feeling this is going to be very hard to figure out a winner. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to put you on the ropes here. Um. Let's go. I actually don't know how you feel about this one. So this actually might be a bit of a risk, but I think, I, I think it's a 10 out of 10. I haven't written a review for it, but if I did, I'd give it a 10. That's city of God. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, uh, I watched that movie for the first time a few months ago and uh, I yeah. thought it was fantastic. Uh, great uh, foreign film, great drama, crime drama. I liked it a lot. I wasn't quite a 10. I gave it an eight. But a solid flick for sure. Rewatch it, you might feel differently. It's a it's a powerful rewatch. Cool, cool. What do we get? last one? Last one here. Hmm. I'm gonna go with another film that scared the almighty hell out of me as a child. <laughs> Apparently, 2002 was not my year. Uh, <laughs> uh, signs. Oh yeah, so good, so good. So Signs good. scared me so bad. I couldn't watch it for years. It took eventually my uncle and his girlfriend at the time watching it to finally have like convinced me to watch it without my eyes closed. So just that one scene with the fucking alien walking to the birthday party. I can't get over that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, and with that, I, th- I think you got me got me on this one, especially with this last pick. I have to pick it because it's my favorite movie on this entire sheet. Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. Yep, I was wondering uh, when you were going to get to that. <laughs> well, I knew you weren't going to take it, which is why this this is so interesting, right? Is that 
I would love to, you know, do these drafts and have, you know, people vote on it uh, on Twitter and just, you know, have, have people follow. But when we're deciding between the two of us, I just think I have, let's see, I have punch drunk, which is an eight for you, right? Yeah. City of God, which is an eight for you. Yeah. Spider-Man. What is that for you? That's an, that's an eight. <laughs> I think gangs, gangs of New York. That's a nine. And then uh, Lord of the Rings 10. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think on my end, you don't love my group as much as I love yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got the Count of Monte Cristo. Yes. 10 for me. 20 days for me. 10. Road to Perdition, a nine. Nine. Red Dragon, an eight. I'd also give it a strong eight, maybe even a nine. And Signs, an eight. Oh, a strong eight, yeah. This is, this is, a, good, this is a good little matchup. I, I mean, we left off, you know, some, some bangers here. Um, I would say the one that I thought about the most uh, was Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I thought about um, the Bourne identity. I actually love of the, of, of all the Bourne movies. That's probably my favorite. I know you're not a huge fan, so I didn't feel like drafting that one. I prefer the Bourne supremacy. I like that one a lot too. Uh, Lilo and Stitch. I would give a nine. I adore that. That's one of my favorite Disney films of all time. Uh, Scooby Doo. <laughs> I yeah, <laughs> Scooby Doo is fun. You know, I, it is I like, fun. I refuse so you, to be a snob. I like Scooby Doo. <laughs> you know what else is fun? Catch me if you can. Fun movie. That is a great movie. See Leo versus Tom. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. This is my least favorite overall. Least favorite Harry Potter movie, Chamber of Secrets. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's not. I love it, but you know what? I've seen it so many times. I, I love it too, but I, again, I, yeah, I've seen it so many times. It's there's not enough nuance there to put it right here in these top these fives, you know, these yeah. these group of five movies. I mean, Lord of the Rings, you could say the same thing, but that, that's just a ten through and through. I see it as a borderline masterpiece. All three of those. And then I think Attack of the Clones is the worst Star Wars movie. So there's no way. Oh yeah, we weren't going near that. Yeah. yeah. Plus, why would you draft that? I'm gonna make fun of you if you draft it. So. <laughs> Yeah, you you don't you're not you don't care for Star Wars, and I've lost my taste for it, admittedly. <laughs> and maybe 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 one day, if we can get you know a, a big following here, and we can get people to vote on it, then maybe it'd be valuable to draft Star Wars because people like Star Wars. But yeah, between you between you and I, we're trying to make impressive groups for 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 each other, and I think you you I think you edged me out on this one. Fair enough, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take the victory. The the punch drunk love, I had to take it, even though I know you're not like you like it but you're not crazy about it orange county i love orange county Almost that's a great movie i was very very close to taking chicago i really like chicago the best picture winner from this year of course yeah i was going to bring that one up it is it, it is a very strong movie richard Gere is great in it <laughs> a good one we, we might want to um well not now but eventually on oscar sunday chicago is a great movie Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We we like to bounce around in different decades. So whenever we get to the two thousands again, we can talk about Chicago. Sweet. All right. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, yeah, I love doing these. These are cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> fun. Busy. You know, the the brackets are fun. I had a blast recasting the main characters of Antebellum. That was fun. Uh, and obviously, you know, with a Korean film, it's going to be a little harder because we don't have as much, you know, to go off of as much reference. Yeah. But maybe next week we can. <laughs> <laughs> maybe let's see what are we doing next week we all right so um next week we're discussing a film that's a horror classic in two ways one yeah 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 it's a celebrated modern horror movie that spawned a franchise that is still churning out films it's got one that was supposed to come out this year 
instead coming out next year. Second, it's an early episode of the Filmgasm podcast that I did solo, and we're redoing it together as our way of opening our Halloween lineup. Two men from two different worlds wake up chained to the wall of a dirty bathroom. There are clues abound as to why they are there and why they've been chosen as players in a sick, demented killer's game. It's the film that started the torture porn subgenre and remains one of the most significant horror films of the 2000s, a true classic, 2004's Saw. <laughs> Let's right go. On. Going back to the beginning. Our plan is to redo every episode that I did by myself in the early days, give them the full filmgasm treatment. Yeah. We've done The Shining, and now it's time for Saw. <laughs> Can't wait. Looking forward to this one for months. Yeah, they're all all the ones you did are movies I definitely want want to give some input on, and we're not going to do them all. You know, we'll space them out, right? We did yeah. Shining quite a bit ago, so yeah, we'll just, we'll space them out, have some fun with it. Uh, the Shining was kind of our thing as like, oh, we've been doing this for a year, and Saw is it's fucking October, so let's do it. Yeah, for years October has been, you know, we knew it was Halloween because there was a fucking Saw movie out. It was. It's a big yeah. deal for 10 years. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, that's exciting. What we did with the, the ones that I did solo, just the easiest way was we just threw them back in the book and we'll draw them when the time comes. Yeah, exactly. They'll come back up when they need to. And just like with sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, they'll, they'll come around when, when, uh, when we're ready. Exactly. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, Feel free to subscribe to this podcast on your listening platform or to our Filmgasm Productions YouTube channel where you can find every episode of Filmgasm and Oscar Sunday. We are tackling five easy pieces this Sunday, so check that out. Yes. Yep. Yeah, you'll be able to see whatever we've got planned for the future. Suffice it to say, 2020 was nobody's year, but 2021 is going to be ours. Can't wait. Hell yeah. And uh, we love feedback of all kinds. We love starting a dialogue about movies. So if there's something you want us to know or just like what we do, drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Hell yeah. And until next week, remember that kidnapping a little girl is never a good idea. Even if you think no one will get hurt, you're wrong. Someone always gets hurt. Vengeance. What's, what's the term? He who commits vengeance, be prepared to big to dig two graves. Yes. Yeah. Or something. I know I butchered the fuck out of that, but I don't care. See you next see you next week. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>